and welcome back to another edition of YCT Matters. This is Carol Platt-Lebow, president of Yankee Institute, and today we have one of our special signature editions of YCT Matters, and we have a special guest, and that is Andrew Andy Fowler, our very own manager of internal affairs. And we have Andy on for many reasons, um, but first, before we get into his special uh, project, which is his feature Hidden in the Oak and all the interesting and little known historical facts about Connecticut that Hidden in the Oak features, we're going to talk a little bit about what makes Andy extraordinary and why he brings so much to Yankee Institute staff before I embarrass him to death. Um, And Andy has been with us since July of 2022. He uh, before joining Yankee, he spent four years in the communications department for the Knights of Columbus in, at their international headquarters in New Haven, where he managed their social media accounts and wrote for their publications. And he is the curator of the Blessed Michael McGivney Pilgrimage, Pilgrimage Center's online exhibit, KFC Baseball, an American Story. You'll note there will be a relationship between the whole baseball theme, and one of the editions of Hidden in the Oak. And um, the uh, KFC Baseball and American Story exhibit explores the ties between the Knights of Columbus and the growth of America's national pastime. He has been a production assistant for Morning Joe, and he currently serves on the Milford Board of Education. So he knows better than any of us, in some ways, firsthand from his work on the ground, what is happening in our educational system. That's not the only thing, however. Andy does have, and I can attest to this from personal experience, uh, a vivid and live knowledge of cinema, including old movies, which I like from the 40s, even the 30s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s. Uh, He is also a a musician, and we're going to make him give everyone his uh, Spotify because he does. He composes and he he performs, and he is also an author, and his stuff is very good. Uh, He's a graduate of the University of Connecticut, and he did that in just 2015, so he is a mere pup. And this Renaissance man achieved all of that in just the last eight years. We are delighted to welcome our very own manager of internal affairs, Andy Fowler. Andy, welcome. Well, thank you for that very long uh, introduction, <laughs> Carol. It was uh, well, <laughs> truly, I, I just like to keep myself busy. I don't know. I just did. <laughs> well, you certainly do that. And uh, it is a pleasure to have you in front of the microphone. You are always here when we record these, making sure all goes smoothly and making sure that I and our guests uh, sound even better and may have things go even more smoothly than they otherwise would. And we're grateful. So uh, it seems only fair that we get to talk about your prodigious talents here on air, as well as behind the uh, behind the scenes. So let's first talk about a little bit about um, how you came to uh, do this whole Hidden in the Oak series. The Hidden in the Oak was really inspired by um, a meeting that we had as a staff about, you know, what makes Connecticut great. One of the things that people came up with, you know, time and time again was its history. 
I majored in history at the University of Connecticut. I've I've grown up with um, actually my dad and my older brother are also big history nerds, and also my younger brother. But they, they were the the people that were leading it forward when I was a kid. I've had a deep fascination with Connecticut and its history. It's one of the reasons why I stayed, and uh, that's what Hidden in the Oak was born out of. I just want to tell these little stories, or maybe big stories, I don't know, maybe uh, give people a bit of pride uh, about what Connecticut is and where we've come from, and hopefully change the trajectory of where we're going. You know, that is a wonderful thing to hear, because that is something we all uh, talked about. Uh, I am a, a great believer in something Mother Teresa once said, which is we can do no great things. We can only do small things with great love. And um, and part of our work here at Yankee Institute is because we love our state. And uh, and I don't know, just it's really an, a wonderful thing to hear that this series that I enjoy and I know a lot of readers enjoy because we hear from some of them. Um, you know, came out of your thinking about what you enjoy. And I know Connecticut's history, in fact, the history on the East Coast um, is one of the things that's my favorite part of living here. So you've you've done a lot of different things. Um, how do you decide on your topic each week before we delve into some of the uh, some of the particular ones? Well, I feel like I have sort of a uh, a wandering mind, so to speak, or maybe undiagnosed ADD. I don't know. <laughs> it's um, so. For example, the Gettysburg story, which sort of started it off. It wasn't under the Hidden in the Oak brand, but it was just uh, I've been diving into a lot of Civil War history recently, and I had come across you know, that the anniversary of Gettysburg was coming up and I'm like, oh, wait, isn't it like the 160th anniversary or, you know, and it was, and I'm like, oh, this would be a perfect time to do a story and, or, you know, look into that and came to found out that a lot of the information about Connecticut soldiers um, impact on the battle was scattered all across the internet. It wasn't in one compiled place. And that just, racked my mind and I thought okay let's just put it all in one place and and that's where it came from so at least that idea and then like the most recent one about Lafayette um I was just literally thinking about oh I know Lafayette did a tour in Connecticut I wonder you know tour across America where did he go to in Connecticut it just it, it kind of feels like spur of the moment type things so I, I I don't know where the real inspiration is but one of the stories that is up and coming was actually given to me by a Yankee staffer. So uh, tune in for that one in the next few weeks. Okay. We're, we're going to be waiting and I love yeah. it because sometimes <laughs> you give me a sneak peek before they actually make it online. And I, I feel very privileged. Um, but no, I, uh, I really enjoyed the Lafayette one. And, um, and uh, one of the things that you said at the end, I thought was really profound and really insightful because you were talking about the relevance of the final tour of Lafayette um, and and how he loved the United States. And I think that that's something that's really important and it was really interesting. And um, and you you mentioned how President Monroe, who I think was president at the time that that General Lafayette came to take his final tour of of the United States yep. and how uh, what was it? President Monroe thought that having um, having General Lafayette um, 
tour again would help make, I think you said, make the fading past present. Yeah. And, and, and you wrote about how we need to recall some of the best of our shared heritage. And, um, and, and I thought it was really wonderful. Um, you know, you, you made the point that we can't let the ideals that undergirded the founding of our country fade away from our nation's collective memory. And I think that's one of the neatest things. And one of the things that really make people enjoy um, reading this series, because they, they are things that now uh, too often, you know, we're all just losing a bit of our our, our grasp on. And if we do it, you know, it's not going to be the same country. Right. I mean, there, America is really founded on those inalienable rights, those timeless principles that um, stretch back far beyond Western civilization um, foundation. If, if we lose that dignity for the human spirit and for, you know, that individualism of everyone and their, their God-given rights, we're doomed as a, as a society. Well, we are. And if people don't remember their own history, again, we're doomed to repeat the mistakes of the past. And, you know, one of the things that you see in socialist countries or Marxist countries that they immediately tack the history of the old world, the stuff that came before, and it's to their detriment and to the deaths of millions upon millions of people. So this is real, real life. These are real stakes involved in all this. And I know I'm going off on a tangent, but it, that's one of the things that why it's important for me, or at least for others, I, I should say, why I find it important to study the history of, uh, of American history in particular, because sure, we've had our faults and our slip ups, but we have these principles that we are forever striving for. And just the idea of perseverance and striving is in and of itself a good quality because every other country or nation before that was founded on, this is the land that you are born, you are this particular class and you can't ever break out of that. America was different. And I think that was something that Lafayette really recognized that in the United States is revolutionary cause. And that's what he wanted to try to bring back to France. But ultimately France became very Jacobin and a lot of people lost their heads and Lafayette nearly lost literally (laughs) (laughs) figuratively and literally. literally. Yeah. Uh, You know, it's so interesting because uh, you're right. And not to go down the rabbit hole with you, but um, you know, I think that's the, the curse of historical ignorance is that so many people don't understand what a historic aberration and what, uh, a triumph the founding of of the united states was right. you know that you could have a, a a country founded on principles rather than just on sort of blood and soil and this whole idea you know it's easy in retrospect to poke holes that this person wasn't you know um as morally perfect as we'd like them to be in retrospect or this that and the other thing but if if one looks at the time in context, the idea that anyone would have even been able to conceptualize a country that was not led by kings, where there was even this idea that all men are created equal and endowed with by their creator with inalienable rights, just how marvelously revolutionary those ideas were. And the fact is that, of course, in the beginning, 
we did not live up to the splendor of those words. I mean, everyone knows that. But the idea that they were even committed to paper and agreed to in principle was, in essence, the founding fathers writing the promissory note that created the the check that that Dr. King and others were able to come along later to present to cash in years to come. And no other country has ever been able to point to a constitution that embodies those principles and has worked so hard to actualize them. The people who want to tear things down, what do they propose in its place? That's what I'm always confused by. But anyway, back up the rabbit hole. Um, you know, one of the things that is uh, is amazing to me is, you know, just the sheer breadth of the series. So you you talk about a history of baseball in Connecticut. And I, for one, uh, not being a, a baseball aficionado particularly, I mean, although I am a St. Louis Cardinals fan, um, I, I I did not realize that there is uh there is there is a, a tie to Lou Gehrig in Dunkin' Donuts Park. I am yeah. familiar with the movie with Gary Cooper. I love Gary Cooper. Oh, Pride um, of the Yankees is a great movie. For anyone yeah. who hasn't seen it, um, <laughs> make sure you watch it. But um, my poor Yankees this year, it's uh it's been kind of rough. But um, yeah, no, Lou Gehrig played for the Hartford Senators uh, very early on in his baseball career, but only for a couple of weeks. But when you walk into Dunkin' Donuts Park, you'll see him actually in his uniform. And it's just a neat little tie to Connecticut that he, you know, formed as a baseball player here. And also his mom lived in Milford, Connecticut for a short period of time. And there's actually a field named after Lou Gehrig, which I used to play Little League in, you know, my Little League ball uh, ball games. In. But yeah, so I guess maybe my fascination with baseball, too, actually also goes back to to my old man. He used to work for National Review and he used to do this thing called the Weekend Jolt. And at the bottom of every of these newsletters, he'd write some baseball fact like, you know, they, these two sets of twins faced each other on the same day in 1940 for the St. Louis Brown, you know, like stuff like, <laughs> like who's going to look this up <laughs> kind of type of stuff. It was around that time where I was reading those when he was publishing those. And when I started working at the Knights of Columbus, I saw that there were a lot of connections between, you know, the Knights and baseball. And so I dove into baseball history even more. And um, it, it's just interesting to see that in Connecticut, we had a at least a thriving baseball league in, by the turn of the 20th century. And it, and it was run by a Hall of Famer who so happened to hit the very first hit in National League history, which is the oldest sports league in America right now. So it's or at least one of the oldest in America right now. So it's just uh, funny, the little ties that Connecticut has to not only the old baseball, but even to current, like Jeff Bagwell, who, who Carol, I don't know if you know, but for <laughs> listeners out there, we know. I'm, I'm just going to maintain an erudite <laughs> silence. Continue. Yeah. He's a Hall of Famer. He, he was an MVP of the National League, and he played for the Houston Astros for a long time, and he lived in Connecticut. So it's not just like, oh, the very old distant past, but also, you know, the present, but yeah, I love baseball. So (laughs) clearly (laughs) I could obviously learn a thing or two. Um, And, you know, then we, so then a different week, just to highlight like the sheer, you know, as I said, the breadth of topics, 
Um, you know, I had no idea that such a large chunk of the scientists, if you can have a chunk of scientists, I don't know, it's like a pride of lions, I suppose, um, <laughs> you, that that so many of the people who worked on the Manhattan Project were Connecticut natives. I mean, you know, that's amazing. Well, and, I can tell you where that idea came from. So, okay, I'm I'm <laughs> curious, and and you know we don't want to steal your thunder. So everyone, go on the site and read the piece because it is it's really interesting. Yeah, so that was because of the new movie Oppenheimer by Christopher Nolan was coming out, and I just again thought, oh, I wonder if any Connecticut natives worked on the Manhattan Project. I don't know if they would like the fact that I'm writing about them, <laughs> their connection because of the moral ambiguities yeah. of dropping the bomb and whatnot. I don't go talking about that at all in the in the piece because you know it's not i have views i don't find it that morally ambiguous but go ahead right (laughs) i mean (laughs) some people would out there and they they themselves did and if you do definitely write andy and not me but go ahead (laughs) and your angry letters too um. (laughs) (laughs) right exactly and not only that but i thought of oh yeah you know the nautilus you know the first subatomic submarine was is in connecticut and then right Millstone. And I thought it would be a good idea to talk about people are very serious about clean energy. Why not nuclear? Why not? Right. Uh, Because it does have to be part of any serious discussion of how to meet our energy needs. Right. You know, Connecticut has one of the highest electricity costs. It's like, how can we relieve the people, families, businesses of that burden? So I thought I'd throw out that topic for discussion in that piece as well. Again, connecting it back to the present day, which is always what you want to try to do with history. It's like, okay, why is this relevant? Why does it matter to me? I love it. I love it. And and then we had another one uh, about the cursed Connecticut landmark. And I will just throw in a piece of personal history here. Uh, I grew up near a place where pirate Jean Lafitte was known to have been. And my brothers used to scare me to death. They had me convinced that Jean Lafitte's treasure was buried on this 12 acres of property that my parents had, and that his ghost haunted the property and was coming to get me. And I was convinced. So when we had this uh, Charles Island, the cursed Connecticut landmark, and there was this discussion in here, I was all over it because (laughs) I resonated with it, as people would say. Right. <laughs> so I'm I'm a Connecticut native. I grew up in Milford. And when you go down to Silver Sands or Walnut Beach, you'll see Charles Island out there. It's a neat little landmark. You're like, oh, you know, if you're walking along the beach, you probably you don't think too much about it. There's just a lot of weird enterprises that have been attempted out there and most of them failed. Now it's a, a home for birds. It's a pre- uh, preserve. One of the curses, at least, to connect it back to the pirate story, is that the legendary <laughs> Captain uh, William Kidd uh, supposedly buried his treasure out there. I actually did go out there when I was in high school. What I found was a lot of uh, <laughs> a lot of bird droppings <laughs> <laughs> and um, some remnants of what used to be a Dominican retreat there. So Dominican meaning um, the Catholic order of order. Mm-hmm. fascinating weird little thing that and that's what i hope the series is about that people send me their little charles islands kind of thing little thing in their hometown that has like some weird historical significance to them and those are the things that i'd like to highlight because it's um you know it's home connecticut is our home and it, we should know our home 
right? We and- should. And it's such a neat, I mean, it's such a fabulous, fabulous place. Uh, and and it is, that's what I love about this series is I get to learn more about all these cool places. And I always think to myself, I'm going to check that out. Right. I just learned something. And the last one I just thought we'd touch on is mm-hmm. actually one of my favorites um, because it it talks about something that, you know, I understand there are people, you know, of a variety of beliefs, but I really, I think we had a miracle here. And um, it has to do with, um, with Father McGivney and um and the fact that he is uh is being considered for sainthood correct yeah so obviously that goes back to my time at the knights of columbus when i first heard about his story his feast day was coming up and i thought you know people might not know about him people might might not even be catholic who are reading it but still it's you know it's important to know i mean he's he would be a notable figure in the church I have a very deep personal connection with with Father McGivney. I'm, I'm I'm convinced that he's helped me out in a, in a lot of respects, including even I think landing at Yankee at some point. But uh, and it, it's weird when you actually get to meet the person who was touched by the miracle. So when I was working at the Knights during his beatification ceremony, I I was asked to meet the family in their hotel room. So I go there, I knock on the door, and who opens the door is little... This is this is uh, Mikey Shackle's yeah, this family? Is Mikey Shackle, who I, I reference in the story, and he's a Down syndrome kid. When I first met him, he opened the door, and he grabbed my hand, and it was just like, oh, you're my best friend, and walked me around the room to introduce me to everyone. There's something in, I can't totally describe, but it, it really moved me. And uh, well, because this, this little move. guy was given a zero percent chance of living, correct? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, there he was walking about and it really touched my heart. And yeah, so I and I'm still a Knight of Columbus. So I even have some prayer cards of him over my uh, my work desk at home. Yeah, it's Father McGivney is a pretty special person. And the fact is that he, you know, through the nights or founded this worldwide organization and has done enormous good throughout not only American history, but, you know, internationally, too. Like, uh, I think I referenced in the piece that even the Knights sent weapons or, you know, to, uh, charitable goods to fight off the Bolsheviks, <laughs> you know, and help out a lot with the, you know, tearing down the uh, Iron Curtain. And beyond that, it's just... Anyway, and this all stemmed back to Father McGivney, who had the idea of saying, you know what, maybe there needs to be a fraternal organization in in my little church in St. Mary's Parish in New Haven. And you can actually go visit his sarcophagus, which is in St. Mary's Parish. Yeah, again, it's he's a guy that I admire. So, and I thought, eh, maybe other people might find it interesting. So, well, I definitely, <laughs> I definitely did. And whether it was uh, Father McGivney's intercession, the Holy Spirit, or just g- good luck, um, and I tend to tend to really believe in the two former. Uh, we are very grateful that you found your way to Yankee Institute. Tell us, Andy, just before we let you go, tell us a little bit about your songwriting and your writing and where people can find them because the songs are actually really, really good. Um, I was, you know, I, I wondered what I was going to find when I 
when I went on to your Spotify, but I am going to embarrass our operations director, Matthew, by saying he apparently listens to them all the time and sings them. So, uh, <laughs> you know, in the car. So there you go. I mean, it's good stuff. Yeah, the, the songs are just under my name, Andy Fowler. Most of them, I don't have any mixing skills, so they're all kind of like demoed. So just know that going in. Then I have my own little sub stack. I'll, I'll generally write about movie reviews when I have time, but I've written a couple of short stories too. Yes, you have. And that one about, yeah, they're, they're, they're good. I read, I've read some. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, one of them. I don't is, want to embarrass you. Didn't know if you knew, but I have. <laughs> one of them is about it's like a, a fable of sorts about these three frogs who start a band. But it's more than that. It's, it's more of an allegory. And then uh, there's another story that actually won the CT Press Club. I don't know how, but that's did, the one I oh. that's the one I read. The CT Press Club winner. Yeah, it was it, great. it's more of a horror short story, but any horror. Oh, yeah. Story, and it scared me. I don't know. I don't know what working with Yankee Institute does because there's Mark Fitch who writes horror and now you're writing horror. (laughs) So I'm not going to I'm not even going to contemplate that like Yankee is the common link that leads people to start writing horror, like working something out in their psyche. See, that story, again, was just something like, oh, I wonder what saint fought the devil. That's the premise of the story. It's based on the story of an Italian uh, teenage girl who fought the devil. And so, uh, Andy, so we find that at Andy Fowler's Substack or what? Yeah, I'll, I'll put the link in the, the show notes. And Ladies and gentlemen, don't forget to check out Hidden in the Oak. They're up on the Yankee Institute website and they are fantastic nuggets of Connecticut history. Just another example of what makes our state so special. Uh, Andy, we are grateful for you every day at Yankee Institute. It's grateful to be here. And seriously, for all the listeners out there, if you want to send me your little hit it in the oak type stories, send them to andrew at yankeeinstitute.org. And uh, Andy, we are not only grateful to you, we are grateful for all our listeners. And we thank all both of you, all of you, for having been with us today. This is Carol Platt-Lebow, president of Yankee Institute. And we hope you'll join us next time for another edition of YCT Matters. I'll show you around this place I call home.